0: Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on the appearance of the sun on the summer solstice. Adrienne Pichano has an archived garden girl report on the botanical Latin that helps name your plants. In her segment, Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips speaks with Mike Medley from the Mammocating Environmental Center in the Bashakil area. The topic of their conversation is hiking recommendations. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. A hardline cleric has been elected president of Iran. Ibrahim Raisi won yesterday's election in a landslide, though turnout was at a record low. Backed by Iran's supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, Raisi will succeed the more moderate Hassan Rouhani. The first tropical storm of the season to reach the U.S. is dumping heavy rain and bringing strong winds to the Gulf Coast. NPR's Amy Held reports Claudette is expected to sweep across the southeast.
0: Louisiana is under a state of emergency with coastal residents urged to keep off flooded roadways. By early Saturday, Claudette was packing winds up to 45 miles per hour and a lot of rain. Five to ten inches with isolated totals up to 15 inches. Eric Blake is a hurricane specialist with the National Hurricane Center.
2: You know, right now we're most concerned about the flash flooding risk.
0: He says the storm will weaken as it moves inland in a northeastward
2: direction. We expect it to move into Mississippi and Alabama later today and then into Georgia and and the Carolinas Sunday and Monday.
0: By early next week, the storm is forecast to move off the coast and back out to sea. Amy Held, NPR News.
1: As many Americans celebrate this Juneteenth holiday commemorating the end of legalized slavery, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti says he and 10 other city leaders are launching a coalition called Mayors Organized for Reparations and Equity, or
3: MORE. So each of us does something more, makes more of a commitment to justice, more of a commitment to wealth building, more of a commitment to a society that includes everybody, more of a commitment to a country. That faces its past because we know our prosperity in the future depends on it.
1: All 11 mayors are pledging to pay reparations to some black residents in their cities. U.S. health officials are praising the Supreme Court's decision to keep the Affordable Care Act intact. NPR's Ping Huang reports they also say there's more work to be done. Many Americans still don't have health insurance. Javier Becerra, Secretary of Health and Human Services, celebrates the Supreme Court decision upholding the Affordable Care Act. But he says there are still big gaps in health care access and that black, Latino and low income communities bear the brunt.
3: We're ready to start building on, a, on the Affordable Care Act so that everyone, regardless of their zip code, has access to good health care at, at a fair price.
1: Becerra has been a longtime defender of the ACA. In his past roles as a congressman and California's attorney general, he helped pass and defend the legislation. Over 31 million Americans get health insurance through the ACA, including many who lost work benefits when they were laid off during the COVID-19 pandemic. Another 30 million Americans remain uninsured. Ping Huang, NPR News. This is NPR.
3: Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallenpopak, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorder's.com.
0: This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Adrienne Pichano has an archived Garden Girl report on the botanical Latin used to help name your plants. In her segment, Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips speaks with Mike Medley from the Mamacaning Environmental Center in the Bashakill area. The topic of their conversation is hiking recommendations. But first, here's Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report on the appearance of the sun during the summer solstice. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced Farm and Country.
3: Farm and Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Tomorrow will be the summer solstice, the day when the sun reaches its most northern point for the year. Even though the summer solstice actually refers to the moment when the sun reaches its peak in the sky for the year, we refer to the day in which this occurs as the summer solstice derived from two Latin words, sol meaning sun and sistir meaning to stand still, the term solstice describes what the sun appears to do. If one were to observe the maximum height of the sun each day during the weeks leading up to the summer solstice, one would notice that the sun climbs higher and higher in the sky until it comes to a stop on the summer solstice. The summer solstice is the longest day of the year. And tomorrow, we will see 15 hours and 14 minutes of sunlight. Those living north of the Arctic Circle will see 24 hours of sunlight today. And anyone south of the Antarctic Circle will not see the sun at all. For those living on the Tropic of Cancer, 23.5 degrees north of the equator, the sun will be directly overhead at noon. Cultures from around the world have celebrated the solstice for millennia. The solstice marked the start of the new year in the ancient Egyptian calendar, and it was a time of social equality in ancient Greece, and the Sioux tribe held rituals honoring the sun on the solstice. Head outside tomorrow and enjoy the longest day of the year. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up.
4: Hi, it's the Garden Girl with your garden tip for Farm and Country. little botanical Latin can go a long way, even for the novice gardener. It comes in handy in the following ways. When you're plant shopping at the nursery, when you're seed shopping in a catalog, when you're saving seed from your own garden plants, and to better understand the life cycle and cultural requirements of your plants. Let's use a well-known cottage garden perennial, Monarda, as an example. Monarda has many common names, including bee balm, oswego tea, horse mint, spotted mint, and bergamot. It also exists in red, pink, purple, and speckled white forms. Let's say you saw the red variety in a friend's garden and you decided you must have it. Searching using the Latin name of the variety, Monarda didyma, You'll get better results when searching either online or through a nursery employee, avoiding confusion among the many common names and varieties. Google image search is a useful first step when identifying a plant you don't know the name of. Botanical Latin is structured like an upside-down pyramid. The broadest grouping, called the kingdom, is at the top, and the narrowest grouping, called species, is at the bottom. The grouping order, from broadest to narrowest, goes kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, then species. For a gardener's purposes, you really only need to pay attention to the last three naming categories, family, genus, and species. Using our red-flowered Monarda as an example, the family is Lamiaceae, the genus is Monarda, the species is Didyma, and the name of the common red variety is Jacob Klein. What does each part of a plant's botanical name tell you? Each level of classification or grouping gets narrower as you move to the bottom of the upside-down pyramid, with fewer shared characteristics among its members. This gives you clues about a plant's relatives and their culture. Even though you most likely have gotten this far in your gardening efforts without knowing your botanical Latin, I feel it's important for every gardener to have a little of it in their toolkit. If you're intrigued and you want to learn more, I can recommend two excellent references on the subject of botanical latin seed saving and plant climate relationships for perennial gardeners pick up a copy of native plants of the northeast by donald j leopold for vegetable gardeners and seed savers seed to seed by suzanne ashworth will be your bible and that's your garden tip from the garden girl for farm and country
5: the Mamma Environmental Center this morning, where I've come to meet up with Mike Medley. Mike has been leading hikes in and around the Bashakill for at least 25 years, so he's well qualified to recommend local hiking trails. Mike, what is your background and what was your profession?
2: Well, I was a special education teacher at BOCES in Orange County. Then when I retired, I worked for Nature Conservancy when they took over Sam's Point up above Allenville. I've been involved with hiking in, on the Shangum Ridge and lower Catskills and lower Hudson Valley for most of my life.
5: You seem to favor the Shawngum Ridge. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I do
2: favor the Shawngum Ridge because... The elevation at Sam's Point is about 2200 feet. So your vistas off of the cliffs and the along those trails are beautiful. And there are escarpments, there are craggy cliffs that give you tremendous views. Once you get into the Catskills, you, to get any views, you've got to hike above 3000 feet, even 4000 feet. So you're in the woods most of the time, but the ridge gives you Almost everywhere, you're getting extensive views of the Roundout Valley, the Walk Hill Valley, everywhere. So I, I do favor that, and you're not hiking up 3,000-foot steep trails when you're doing the ridge. So I do favor the ridge.
5: But you do also lead hikes in the Bashakil.
2: Yes, I've been leading a lot of the hikes in the Bashakill, which are more friendly to the, the beginning hiker, It's an entirely different ecological system here. We're low in the valley, so you're walking along a wetland, or in some of the hikes I lead, like Huckleberry Ridge over in Port Jervis, and the local hikes that go from the Bashiquil right up on top of the Shangham Ridge Trail. You can hike the Shangham Ridge Trail from up around Rosendale all the way down to High Point, New Jersey, and that's a doable hike. But, yeah, I lead a lot of uh, groups here, school groups, because there are short hikes here that lead to uh, overlooks that the DEC built, observation platforms, you can watch the eagle, and they're short one-, two-hour hikes.
5: When you say here, you're talking about the Mamakating Environmental Center, Visitor Center. That's where you start?
2: Well, they usually start at the boat launch down the road from the environmental center or wherever the trailhead is. It'll be local here, whether it's on Haven Road or the winery, wherever. There will be a starting point. And some of them you have to drive a little ways to get to the beginning, like Huckleberry Ridge is over by Port Jervis, which is one of my favorite hikes. So usually we give instructions on where to meet, and they differ for each hike.
5: Are there... Parking lots at all the trailheads?
2: That's a good question. For the most part, there is. Most of the hikes I go on that I lead from the Bashakill, yeah, there's plenty of parking areas. Some are harder to get to. They're a little off the beaten track. But, yeah, usually because most of these trails are the DEC maintains them or New York, New Jersey Trail Conference, there are official parking lots. you are not parking along the road very much.
5: Can you pick up trail maps at the visitor center? How would you find out where those trails are?
2: Well, for the Bashakill, we put out a calendar of events, which lists all of our hikes, canoeing trips, bird watching things, and that those are the, our local trails. But if you're going to hike. The Shang uh, further afar, like you're going to go to Mohonk or Minnewaska or everything, all of these organizations have, most of them, visitor centers where you pick up your trail maps, and they even lead a lot of their hikes. And they're all advertised, each organization, the Bashakil, uh, Sam's Point, they, they all put out publications, as does the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference.
5: The Bashakil calendar is online. On the the Bashakil,
2: Bashakil calendar is online. Yeah, almost every weekend there's a hike out there.
5: And they have other programs, too.
2: Yes, yeah. There are many programs, and they're well-received.
5: Yeah, if you want to read us just a couple to give us an idea of what kinds of programs. It's the Bashakill Area Association is the name of the organization, the BKAA. Yeah,
2: and it's it's a large organization. We have a board of 10 or 12 members and, and about 800 members, too, and some of the, the events, there's a beginning birders program, a spring migration warbler walk, there's hikes, the gobbler's knob, the DNH canal trail, there's a presentation on herpetology by Bill Cutler, there's nature walks, there's a moonlight walk, there's a common snakes program, kayak program, star watches, Covers a lot.
5: So that's just the current events schedule.
2: Yeah. Those events that I just mentioned would probably go from April all the way through October.
5: And there are lectures as well on particular local flora and fauna.
2: Yeah. Here at the, the Visitor Center, they have a regular, you know, Pam Golden gives many presentations.
5: Yeah, we interviewed her about possums and then more recently about coyotes. Yeah, can you offer some specific suggestions for easy trails if you're just a beginning hiker?
2: Yes, a lot of the trails around the Bashakill are easy hikes. You can pick up a map for any of these hikes at the visitor center. You can look them up online, and they're all short anywhere from half an hour to an hour and a half. And they go along the kill, some of them go up a little bit on the ridge, but that's just here in the Bashakill.
5: Do they tend to be loops, or do you have to go out and back?
2: Yeah, most of them are loops. They vary in range from half a mile to maybe no more than two miles.
5: Are they marked?
2: Yeah, they're marked. The DEC has control of the Bashakil area, so they do mark their trails.
5: Are there government employees who blaze the trails, or is that all done by volunteers?
2: Well, if it's in the Bashikill area, it's usually done by the DEC has specific markers. But if the trails coincide with like the Shangham Ridge Trail, which runs a little bit above the Bashakill, those markers were put in by the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference because they manage a lot of those long-distance, harder trails, and they intersect with some of our trails down here. So it's a combination. Some are maintained by the DEC, some are trail conference, and maybe even some of them the state. So depending on where the trail goes and what it intersects with, because a lot of these things join, the trails join.
5: So what do those blazes look like? Are there numbers on them? Do they correspond to maps? How does that work?
2: They're usually (laughs) color-coded. Yellow, red, blue, and they will have the the marker on the, uh, it's it's a round metal disc which will have the initials. Like Songham Ridge Trail will be SRT. So there'll be some indicate like the long path will be LP. So they usually have markers on them. And the Appalachian Trail, which runs through here also, they just use the white blazes, the real long-distance trails. And the Catskill Trails, too, have the round disks that the state uses for the trails. So some of them are, will tell you the name of the trail, and, but others will just be color-coded. But usually they're all marked.
5: If you're going along one of the trails here in the Bashakill, what are you likely to see? What are the kind of vegetation, what kind of animals? Oh, well, you see quite a bit, depending on when you're there.
2: I've had interesting encounters. The usual animals would be... Deer, bear, which actually is quite a few of them around.
5: You've actually seen bear?
2: Oh, yeah. We have pictures of them swimming in the Bashakill, Hill, and you, we see them on the trails frequently, crossing the trails. A real rare sighting would be an otter. We do have them here. We can't see them that often. And then you have your usual raccoons. and. Do you lots. have
5: porcupines and beavers?
2: We have beavers.
5: In my area, I've actually seen a mink
2: yeah we see mink well, mink like very clean water, cold water, so you usually see them. I see them fishing around stream beds a lot, they never sink. I see quite a few, but n- generally, not right here, not on the kill because this is this is a warm water ecology it's, but yeah, they could be around the f- fauna and flora are pretty diverse i 'm not an expert on flora, but You know, the wetland has a lot of invasive species. That's our big concern.
5: What about snakes? Do you run into them?
2: Yeah, we run into snakes. Most of them are are non-poisonous. Down here in the valley, all the copperheads and rattlesnakes are further up on the ridge where the dry, rocky areas are. But down here, we have all the common water snakes. Bill Cutler runs a wonderful program on snakes. There are no water moccasins. There are no poisonous snakes down here, but we have... All you would usually see down low, well, there are many different kinds of water snakes, but they're all non-poisonous.
5: What are some of the more difficult trails in the area?
2: Well, most of the northern Catskill hikes will be pretty difficult. But just here locally, probably one of the best hikes and a difficult hike is technically not in the Catskills. It's Breakneck Ridge. Breakneck Ridge is a steep trail overlooking the Hudson River and West Point down below Beacon. Lately, that's been a very popular trail with people from New York City coming out. So popular that the DEC put staff there because there's so many people parking along the road. But that's the most dramatic hike because it's, it's a sheer, it's almost like climbing But it's a trail, and it's doable, and many people use it. It's fantastic because it overlooks the Hudson River and West Point and uh, that whole area. But that's a little further south than here. I've done that many times with school groups. There are rattlesnakes up there that that I've encountered, but that's the most dramatic one right here. But there are many hikes off the Shangham Ridge, too, that are kind of nice. I do one over by Port Jervis called Huckleberry Ridge, That's got beautiful views, about a four-hour hike. It overlooks Port Jervis and the 209 Valley. I do that hike once a year. The Sam's Point hikes are all beautiful. They all go along the ice caves. All those ridges up there all have beautiful views. The highest point at Sam's Point is like 2,200. That's the highest point on the ridge. The hikes go north up towards Rosendale and then they so that as far as local scenic views, Mohawk, Minnewaska, and Sam's Point have all have tremendous views on on all their hikes. They're all marked and you can get trail maps at all the visitor centers.
5: What is it that makes those hikes difficult hikes?
2: The footing. Some of them are on carriage roads because they were all areas where People a long time ago rode carriages, but once you get off the side trails, the footing could be a little bit difficult, but not any more difficult than
5: a lot of trails. I imagine the elevation doesn't help. No, well, 2,200
2: feet isn't too bad. And yeah, There are some streams, some of the, the streams you may have to cross streams, like if you're going into Verketerkill Falls up in there, you will have to cross a couple streams.
5: I've heard about, but I haven't done done this, that there are ice caves in Ellenville. Have you ever gone through those?
2: Yes, I led many hikes through the ice caves and across the whole ridge, all the way across. Yeah, the ice caves at Sam's Point, that you're referring to, that's open to the public. You have to pay a fee, and now that Minnewaska owns it's not Nature Conservancy property anymore. It's just, it's part of Minnewaska State Park, so... You, there's a parking lot, you pay a fee, and then it, and you you hike up the carriage road into the trail that leads down into the caves, and it's beautiful. So you have to be a little careful. It's steep in spots, and it's a tight squeeze in spots, but it's extremely beautiful. And if you go in June and July, you will find snow and ice that are still there. It's got packed in there, and it's in June and July, it'll be 30 degrees colder down in the caves. So yeah, it's one of the local highlights. <laughs>
5: What other special highlights do you expect to see along the trails? Are there waterfalls anywhere? Any other special things? The caves, of course, are very special. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm trying to think. Waterfalls. In Minnewaska, there are numerous trails that have kind of somewhat famous waterfalls. There's a trail here in going out of the area in uh, Port Jervis that has a Trail walk that encompasses 12 waterfalls. It's a waterfall walk, in fact, but it's since you're on the other side of Port Jervis. And
5: where does that start from?
2: Bushkill area is where it is. It's a Pennsylvania walk, really. It's not a New York walk. And the walks are only like half a mile, quarter of a mile in, and it hits 12 specific waterfalls.
5: There's that one that comes off of Route 209 going through the Uh, water gap?
2: It's not down as far as a water gap, but, yeah, yeah, it would be off of that.
5: Are there some spectacular rock formations in some of the trails?
2: There are some landmarks, so to speak, well, up at Sam's Point, the, the actual point, you'll find some large boulders that stand out. They're called perch rocks. There are three of them in the Shanghams. When the Indians came through the area, they used these trails as routes, and they would mark them. So the one at Sam's Point is a gigantic rock. It stands out, top of the ridge, and from there, the Indians knew to look and which direction to get to the next rock? So it was a way of traversing through this area that, that they marked. And there are groups that go out there just looking for those three perch rocks. That's kind of you got to kind of to know a little bit to 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 find your way around. But there are some interesting rock formations over Minnewaska and Mohawk. There's they did a lot of stone work up in that area, so you're liable to find. The remnants of uh, maybe an industry that was once there because they used to make grindstones up there and you might find part of an old grindstone laying around that's not a formation but you will find some interesting rock. uh.
5: Do you ever bushwhack or hike on unmarked trails?
2: No I don't. Some people do that exclusively but in the Adirondacks 46 high peaks up there there's a lot of bushwhacking. There's even special books put out John Winkler put out a whole series and he bushwhacked all of those but around here most everything is lower and bushwhacking isn't that popular I don't I, you've got to have a little experience in compass reading and be willing to to put up with a lot more than the average hiker would be willing to do
5: <laughs> right Mike if you're interested in trail maintenance how do you get involved in that
2: Oh, North New Jersey Trail Conference would be glad to hear that. They have an extensive network of groups that do everything. I was on a trail conference for a while on a trail maintenance crew, but my job was just to clip the trails and keep them open and make sure they were well marked. You can go to any degree on that. The trail conference has groups that actually build trails and they bop the water from running down trails. They have sometimes heavy machinery and tools to do heavy duty Rock moving.
5: There are sometimes there's trees that fall across the trail too. Somebody has to take those out.
2: The trail conference has all their trails maintained by a group. You sign up to do a section of a trail. So all the trails have trail maintainers. You have to put fill out a report on what you've done. Maintaining the trail and when you would do their last, and you have to give an update to the trail conference all the time. They're pretty serious about maintaining their trails.
5: So now you know some beautiful places to hike around here. Our hiking expert has been Mike Medley, longtime hike leader along the Schwangunk Ridge and nearby trails. I'd like your ideas about topics for future now you know segments. My email address is stephanie at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country.
0: that you enjoyed our show this week with production by volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips Special thanks goes to the Dirt Diva Adrienne Picciano for her Garden Girl report on Botanical Latin and to our guest Mike Medley from the Mamacaning Environmental Center speaking on the topic of hiking in the Bashikill area. This has been your host Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on WJFF DamascusCitizens.org.
3: Here's an invitation for you to join the party here at the Retro Cocktail Hour, where the
2: swinging sounds of the space-age bachelor pad come alive. Every week, we serve up classic tiki
3: tunes, private eye jazz, groovy bossa nova, and other incredibly strange music. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Join us for a high-five,